topic this morning is the rapture. The rapture. What is the rapture? Our text is First Thessalonians four, thirteen through eighteen. <coughs> Today we have the opportunity to consider one of the great prophetic passages of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, teaches that Jesus is coming again for his church. When he does, the dead and living in Christ will rise and meet Christ in the air and be taken home to heaven. We will be reuni reunited with all those who have died before. Think about it. In a fallen world full of sin and death, this is a tremendous encouragement and hope. I'm sure you've had losses in your life. And, um, you know, when you, when you face death and, and look it in the eye, it's, um, it's tough. But passages like this give us great comfort this morning. Let's take a look at the passage and, and uh, we'll read it together. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, my monitor just went off, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we are alive. Who, have, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. As we um, think of death, uh, it's, it's pretty tough. And yet we are Encourage this morning as we as we read these words and realize that death is not the end for those who believe. And we look forward to be reunited with those who have pre gone before us in, in death. Our Father, we pray that you open our eyes as we consider these words and help us to be able to apply them to our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I go through here, there's... Asleep shows up three times, and that's why I highlighted them in red. Paul obviously had something in mind. We've got just a few words, a few verses, and in those verses, the word sleep comes up time and time again. Here's a quick outline of where we're going to proceed. First, I'd like to start with some, some definitions. Then we're going to look at an end times chart. And the reason that's important is because today what we're considering fits in uh, something much bigger. And we'll consider that, make sure we understand what we're talking about today. Then we'll review what the Bible teaches about death and resurrections. Next, we'll consider Paul's purpose in this passage we're considering this morning. Then we'll go through it verse by verse 
and introduce a few other passages. Then we'll take a look at when the rapture will happen. What is that time? And finally, we'll conclude with a quick summary. Well, let's get started with some definitions. And these relate to the coming of Jesus. So the first, we start with the first coming. The first coming is the incarnation. At the incarnation, the God-man Jesus was born, born of the Virgin Mary about 2,000 years ago. This is documented in the opening chapters of, of um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Second, the rapture. The rapture, at the rapture, Christ calls his church dead and alive, and they meet him in the air. There are two passages that describe this. 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18, through 18, the passage we'll be considering today. And then 1 Corinthians 15.51-52, and 52, we'll take a look at that too. In this case, Christ returns to the air above the earth. So he never sets foot on the earth. And uh, that's an important distinction. So the first coming, the rapture, and the second coming. What happens at the second coming? The second coming... <coughs> Christ returns with his church. So at the rapture, the church goes to heaven. And then at the second coming, the church returns with Jesus. And he sets up his millennial kingdom. So he touches down in Jerusalem and, uh, <coughs> and establishes his millennial kingdom. So keep in mind, first coming, rapture, and second coming. Now let's look a little bit at this outline of the end times. This is a chart was adapted from one found in Bill McDonald's commentary on Revelation. I must tell you that this morning we can't possibly defend everything on this chart. And I would also tell you I know uh, Frank could, so I should sit down and let him go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I see him wince when I said that. Uh, and I would also tell you so that that's really a topic for a series of sermons, and maybe we will get to that in the future. But today, we're going to take just a look at where this rapture fits in. So the first line on the left, that's the incarnation. So at the beginning of the church age, actually, you have Jesus. He comes. He's born as a baby. 33 years later, he's crucified. And then he rises, rises again. And then... And then when he ascends into heaven, line going up, uh, he sends his disciples into um, all, the, all the earth, the Great Commission. And he tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, I have to go. He earlier in his message, says, I must go so that you can have something even greater. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends on them <coughs> and the church starts. And so you have the church age there. We believe that at the end of that church age, Jesus will come back, and that is the rapture. So what happens in the rapture? The rapture, we, we meet him in the air. He does not descend. And when we get to heaven, we're all accountable for the deeds that we've done. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And then remember, the church is the bride of Christ. So you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. <coughs> Meanwhile, on earth, Terrible things are going on. There's the Great Tribulation, also known as the Day of the Lord. And there you have idolatry and lawlessness and false prophets. 
the Antichrist and sacrilege, lots of stuff going on. Well, Scripture says that for the sake of those on the earth, that God will cause Christ to come back in that second coming. And that second coming, Christ returns with his church, is the end of the tribulation. Satan's put in the pit, and there's a thousand years of peace on the earth, and King Jesus will reign over the millennial kingdom. We get done with the thousand years. Satan is released for a little bit. And um, the, the dead, the unbelievers, are raised, and they go through a judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. If their name is not in the Lamb's Book of Life, or they're unbelievers or not, they end up in the lake of fire. And Satan is put in the lake of fire. There's a new heaven and a new earth and eternity. Now, I'm, I'm smiling because we covered something here that many, many books are written about. But here's where we're at. Where's the rapture? We're talking about the rapture, right? So the rapture is the end of the church age and the beginning of the tribulation. That's where the rapture is. And that's our point of conversation today. Let's look at some, real quickly, let's look at some concepts in the Bible about deaths and resurrections. First of all, the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, there was a general understanding that there was one resurrection. And that resurrection would happen sometime in the future and everybody would be resurrected. And a good example is found in Martha's words. Martha says uh, to Jesus upon the death of Lazarus, she said, I know that he, that is Lazarus, will rise again at the last day. There wasn't a notion of multiple resurrections or anything like that. That was sort of the Old Testament concept. There was a time when those everybody would be resurrected, but that was it. Today we're talking about a variety of resurrections. Second, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.8 that the believer in death is, <coughs> your familiar phrase, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Later contemplating his death in a jail cell in Rome, Paul writes to the Philippians that he will soon, quote, depart to be with Christ. Important concept. Now, think about it. If his body, what happened to his body? His body stayed on earth. So what went to be with Christ? His spirit and his soul. Third, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 teaches that not all believers will die. Some will be changed or given a new glorified body without dying. And we'll see that as that develops. Fourth, we find in Luke 16, 22 and 23 that unbelievers go to Hades and they die. Fifth, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 23 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, during the rapture, only believers will be raised. Remember, absent with the body and present with the Lord. And sixth, unbelievers will be raised at the end of the millennium and be judged. And the reference there is, is Revelation 20, verse 5. So what is Paul's purpose for this text? During his journey to Thessalonica, um, he taught them many, many things. And it's obvious that he taught them about the return of Christ. They were familiar with that. Meanwhile, 
after his departure, many Christians had died. And the questions the Thessalonians were thinking about, they had thought that perhaps Jesus would return while everybody was alive, but people had died. These are believers, fellow believers had died, and so they wondered, did they miss the Lord's return? Paul had taught them about the Lord's return, but there was death. And the answer is found in this passage that we're looking at. And then they had a second question. Lots and lots of persecution. And Paul had taught them about the tribulation, and they knew that there was a time of tribulation coming. But they were going through the tribulation, it seemed to them. And so they wondered, are they actually in the midst of the tribulation? That answer will come next week when we consider the day of the Lord, the next the uh, verses in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So those are the purposes that Paul had in mind for these pieces of text. Remember again, some Christians had died, and so the believers there were going, what happened? Did they miss the coming of the Lord? Will they not partake in the kingdom that the Lord offered in his earthly ministry? What, what's going on? There was real concern there. Well, let's start taking a look at these verses and see if we can see what Paul's answers were. Verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul wanted the Th Thessalonians to be informed about those who are asleep. The word asleep is used three times. You saw that in, in, in the earlier slide. Asleep describes the bodies of those who die. It's sort of a softened word for death. But when you think of the word sleep, what do you also think? What? Rest, yes. But what happens ultimately to a person who sleeps? They wake up. Interesting choice of terms. They're asleep. Uh, the, the choice of the words implies not permanence, but a temporary situation. And that's true for everybody. Believers and unbelievers will one day be resurrected. And then the decisions that they made during their life, whether they accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, will become very, very important in their eternal destiny. Asleep. Don't be concerned about those who sleep. It's important to understand that the body sleeps in death, but the soul and the spirit do not. The rich man and Lazarus discussed in Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, were both conscious in death. So the example there is it's pretty clear that they didn't, it didn't just disappear. There's some sort of suspended animation. They were, after death, there was something very real that, that continued. Also recall that Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, and we talked about this, but I remind you of it, he, he talked excitedly about being with the Lord. It doesn't seem like he thought he was going to be in some form of suspended animation or something like that. So the point here is that uh, we don't believe that there's such a thing as soul sleep. That's the point. There's a, once you die, you're conscious, you're either in the presence of the Lord or you find yourself in Hades. The Bible also doesn't teach annihilation. 
The believer enjoys eternal life, Mark 10, verse 30, and the unbeliever suffers eternal damnation. The rich man seen in Mark 9, 48 illustrates this point. Next, note the phrase, so that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. Now, how many of you have lost family members, parents, could be siblings? Tough stuff, isn't it? It really is. So, is this passage teach that Christians should not grieve? I don't think so. Consider, consider uh, the examples in Scripture. What did Jesus do at the tomb of Lazarus? Do you remember? He wept. He wept. Yes, he did. He grieved. Paul tells the Romans to weep with those who weep. And to the Corinthians, that if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Finally, James writes to visit the widows in their trouble. Christians can and should grieve. In the Old Testament, you think of Ecclesiastes. Uh, King Solomon said there's a time for grieving. There's a time for joy. Uh, it's all part of life. Grieving is okay. So what is the line? What does he say here? Paul is saying to avoid hopeless grieving. Now, for those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it's troublesome. It is. What does the future hold? Don't know. Will they be reincarnated as an ant? Will you see them again? That's one religion. There are many. Christianity says there is a future for those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's a happy future. It's a, a future that we can't imagine. It's so good. So Paul's point here is that we ought not grieve as those who do not know Jesus grieve. Now, I have been in the middle of that as a hospital administrator. I remember standing with a, a family that lost their young mother um, as, as a complication from surgery. Developed huge blood clots and she was in her 30s and she passed away. In an effort to comfort that family, I said, do you have any religious beliefs? Hoping they did. They did not. And as I, as I really, I stood with them and talked with them, it was clear they had no hope. The end had come. And there was simply no future. They didn't know where to go. I would tell you this morning that as Christians, that is different. That is not where we stand. We may hurt, but this passage and others says we're not done. And that person who died is with Jesus. And someday we will be with Jesus too. And that is the hope that we have that takes death and puts it in an entirely different perspective than those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. First, think about the basis for our hope. The basis for our hope is directly linked to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ laid his life down as the perfect sacrifice. Then he rose again. And in so doing, conquered death. 
He took on a glorified body. And we too will someday enjoy that same glorified body. Christ's resurrection is the seal of his heavenly father. That Christ's sacrifice was just perfect. It completely took care of the sin problem that we have and the world has. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, Romans 4 and verse 25. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here's the point. Both the cross and the resurrection are very, very important. And Paul makes that very clear. So when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we acknowledge what he did at the cross. We acknowledge our need for that. He died for my sins. And so I accept the sacrifice and I realize he's the living Savior today and that his ministry continues for us. Second, if we believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, then we believe that the dead in Christ will rise again. And that's what Paul's saying here. That's the essential of faith. As you keep thinking about Jesus' death and his resurrection, there's power right there. That is the core of our faith. Jesus died for us, and he rose again. So, if that's possible, what about your mom? Yes. If she believes in Jesus as her Lord and Savior, she will rise again and have eternal life in heaven. Third, Christ the Savior and mediator between God, God the Father and man makes this possible through Jesus states that the hope of the resurrection for those asleep. Christians is made possible by Jesus bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So through Jesus, right? It's because of Jesus that this is possible. And because of that, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Because of Jesus' work, this is possible. And fourth, Jesus will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, remember, the meeting occurs where? Above the earth, right? The rapture is not on the earth, above the earth. Where are, where are the um, spirits and souls of those who believe? Absent from the body and present with the Lord. So if Jesus comes back and he's over heaven or he's over the earth, right? What does he bring with him? He brings the spirits and souls. And in that rapture event, they're going to gain glorified bodies. That's what's going to happen. So the, the picture is that they're on earth. They were buried on earth. That's where their body is. Their soul and spirit's in heaven. At the rapture, Jesus brings their spirits and their souls, and their bodies are resurrected and given glorified form like Jesus has today in the air. That's what happens. That is the teaching of Scripture. Next verse, verse 15 for this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Who gets first priority? The dead in Christ, right? The believers, they're first. So 
This isn't something that I think is going to take days. It's going to be pretty close to instantaneous. But nevertheless, the first to be to participate in that rapture event are the dead in Christ. So they, their bodies are going to be resurrected and transformed and meet Jesus in the air. And their spirits and souls will be combined with those new glorified bodies. And that's, that's what happens according to this verse. Note the phrase, a word from the Lord. It probably was something that the Lord had revealed directly to Paul. Second, Paul provides uh, the order in which these resurrections are going to occur. First, those who have fallen asleep will be resurrected. And then those who are alive will be resurrected. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay. This verse tells us how the rapture will take place. Christ comes from heaven. He comes from the throne room of God. Where does he sit in the throne room? The Father's on the throne. And who sits next to him on the right side? Jesus. Jesus. Who we, we will find out when we get to the time that when the Father says it's the right time, Jesus will perform the rapture. When this takes place, there will be a cry of command. The word there has to do with like a military order. Okay? This is what's going to happen. You know, command, forward march, whatever. Okay? Uh, a good example of that uh, is in John 11 and 43, and that is Lazarus. So we read that Christ cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The voice of command. And John records that in response, quote, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Some have commented that if Jesus had not included the word Lazarus, all the dead would have come out. He certainly had the authority and the power to do that. The voice of command. Second, the voice of the archangel. The archangel is who? Michael. Michael. Michael is the chief of the angels and also the special protector of Israel. The Bible doesn't explain why Michael gives a shout. Ryrie uh, gives the following thought. He says that perhaps Michael will rejoice and exult in the tremendous victory over the forces of evil that is occasioned by the resurrection of the church from the dead. Interesting thought. But a thought. The third, the sound of the trumpet of God. There are many trumpets in Scripture. I'm sure as you think, uh, you can think of trumpets. There were trumpets in Jericho, right? There are trumpets in Revelation. Many, many trumpets. In analyzing the use of trumpets, Ryrie comments that that it has to do with uh, gathering together and moving forward. Something new is happening. And then he uses this. Uh, I thought he summarized it very well when he says, the trumpet here, quote, 
is a call addressed to the saved who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the trumpet of deliverance, of grace, and of mercy. The cry of command, the voice of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet together picture a grand event. The coming of Christ for his church, the translation of the church, both living and deceased, from the earth to heaven. So what's the result? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Christ comes, his voice of command. Michael, the archangel, plays his part and hear a trumpet. And what happens? Here, here goes all of, the, all of the, the dead in Christ and they rise. So who are these dead in Christ? Are the dead in Christ all the saints, Old Testament or New, or just the church? Christian scholars have varied on this. Schofield, he was the editor of the Schofield Reference Bible, concluded after much study that the dead in Christ included both Old Testament and New Testament saints, pointing to the fact that Michael is the protector of Israel, and his voice involved indicates that Old Testament believers must be included. By contrast, Schaefer, um, prominent theologian many of you know well, maybe older Emmaus students know him better, because <laughs> that used to be our theology. Uh, <coughs> Schaefer thought dead in Christ referred to New Testament saints only, and that the Old Testament saints would be resurrected at the end of the tribulation in time to participate in the kingdom. Ryrie points out that in Christ, when used in the new, as used in the New Testament, only refers to uh, the church age believers. And he goes on to add that no passage of scripture ever implies that the church age believers and Old Testament believers will be resurrected together. We're not gonna solve this one today, but I offer those two thoughts uh, to you for your consideration. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 through 18 emphasize the teaching which the Thessalonians needed about the resurrection of the dead in Christ. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52 provides insight into the translation of the living during the rapture. And I added a few verses uh, as well. Uh, the text reads, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, from, for the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. When the perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death. Where is your sting? Quickly note several things. Not all saints will die. According to this passage, when the rapture occurs, living saints will be instantly changed. They will be transformed. They'll get their glorified bodies. The dead will also receive glorified bodies. Then death, which according to Paul is the last great enemy, 1 Corinthians 15, 26, will be swallowed up in victory. When believers are resurrected from the dead, 
the destruction of death, or put positively, the victory over death will be complete. How did death start? The death started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? It started with sin. And that's when we had death. And we look forward to the time when death will be done away. And death was done away in part by the work of Jesus Christ. He is the he vanquished death by paying the price uh, for our sins, the sins that demanded death. Back to First Thessalonians in verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Who's the them? The dead in Christ, right? Those in Christ. So we are going to be caught. Then, then we who are alive, so we who are alive, who are left, we were left because what? Because the dead went first, right? We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will always be with the Lord. Believers who are alive will immediately follow the resurrected believers and meet in the clouds with Christ. Will all believers die? No, they will not. When that rapture occurs, there will be believers who are living on earth. To repeat, Christ does not come back to the world during the rapture. In the second coming, he returns to earth. He physically is on the earth. The rapture occurs in the atmosphere above the earth. Interesting point that uh, Bill McDonald, the commentator, makes. He says the atmosphere is Satan's domain. Paul describes the devil in Ephesians chapter 2 as a prince of the power of the air. As McDonald notes, the rapture is, quote, a triumphal gathering in open defiance of the devil right in his own stronghold. Fourth point, from then on, always with the Lord. The Lord is always with us. We know that. But once the rapture occurs, I think we're going to feel the presence of the Lord in a very different way. Uh, we talk, we think about the new heavens and the new earth, and, and Jesus is the light for that whole, whole new heavens and the earth. We will be with him. After we meet in the air, where will the group go? What is our destination? The answer is found in John 14, where we read, In my Father's house are many rooms. If I go and prepare a place for you, I come again and will take you to where I am, so that you may be with me also. Verse 18, The Thessalonians were concerned about the believers who had died. Paul provided truth to encourage them. They had not missed the return of the Lord. They would be resurrected and join living Christians, both in glorified bodies, before the tribulation. Once the tribulation is complete, they'd return to earth with Christ to establish the millennial kingdom. Verse 18 says, therefore encourage one another with these words. The text provides word of comfort, cheer, and hope. Better times are coming. This world um, is just, it's tough. It's tough because of what sin did to the world. And we look forward, those who love the Lord, look forward to be with him. Look forward to 
a new heaven and a new earth. So when will the rapture take place? A few thoughts as, as we get ready to conclude. In the final days before Jesus' death, he spoke to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. The disciples asked Jesus to explain about the signs and times of his return to earth. Jesus explains to them in chapter 24 and verses 3 through 31 that they will know the end times because of the signs. A rise and increase in lawlessness, overwhelming tribulation, false prophets who claim Christ's name and perform miracles. Further, there will be a rise of the Antichrist and a desecration of the temple. Jesus is talking here about the tribulation after which the second coming of Christ will take place. He says, you can know when the second coming is going to happen because of these signs. When those things happen, expect the second coming. In verse 36, the topic switches from the events leading up to the second coming to the suddenness of the beginning of the day of the Lord or the tribulation. Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Matthew 24, 36. Then he illustrates the suddenness by saying, he gives some examples. Like the people of Noah's day. They were living it up, eating and drinking and celebrating in marriages, and suddenly the flood came and they were all washed away. He uses another illustration of two working together and one suddenly being God, gone. I'm an old guy, so I remember a song by Larry Norman. I wish we'd all been ready. And Linda nods her head and a few people, and most of you young folks have not a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that song was exactly about this. It was about there are two people, and one is gone. There's a pilot and a co-pilot, and suddenly one is gone from the plane. They're sun working together, and suddenly one is gone. That, that is the rapture. That is the rapture. Given the suddenness of his coming, Jesus concludes, Therefore, stay awake, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Two different events. You can know the second coming because of these signs. But with respect to the rapture, you need to be ready at any time, he says. And so this, this, out of this comes the thought about the imminent return of Christ. And that's what Christians have believed from the formation of the church. So a quick summary. Is Jesus coming again? He is. He is. He's going to rapture the church. And then the second coming is going to happen as well. He's going to set up his kingdom on earth and do it the way it should have been done. Believers, dead and alive, will be raptured. They will. They will receive glorified bodies. They will be spared the tribulation. They will go to God's house, the house Jesus has been preparing. They will return with Christ in the second coming and establish the millennial kingdom. Better times are coming. Encourage each other with these words, says Paul. It's going to happen. And when you miss your mom or your dad, 
remember. You're going to see him again. And when that happens, there'll be no more sorrow. And I won't be wearing glasses. And you won't have any pain. We're going to be different. That's what our glorified body is going to do for us. So what's the qualification to participate in the rapture? you got to know Jesus. We've said that when the rapture comes, only those who know Jesus are going to get raptured. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you're not going to be part of the rapture. So if there's anybody out there who really wants to think through that, know we are ready to talk with you this morning and help, help make sure that you participate in that rapture. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for these encouraging words. The sting of death has been taken away by Jesus. He was the example. He rose again. He has a glorified body. He's in heaven today, preparing a place for us. And he looks forward to welcoming us home. And we look forward to participating in that great event. Our Father, thank you very much.